Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome into another edition of Hangtime Podcast. This is Seku Smith in Atlanta. My main man, John Schumann, is in New Jersey. John Hart's behind the glass. Shoot, it's the end of the row. I mean, break out the boys, the men. It's one week left in the NBA regular season. It's all coming to an end here, getting ready for the second season shortly. Uh, later in the show, we'll break down our picks for the NBA's award season. Everybody's doing it. Why not us? And we'll get into some details on it. We're not just going to gloss over it. We'll we'll do it Schumann style for sure. First, though, I had a chance to talk with Paul George of the Oklahoma City Thunder. PG talks about the Thunder's playoff push, his MVP criteria, which are nearly as detailed as yours, probably shoot. Russell Westbrook's 2020-20 game on Tuesday and a whole lot more. So let's take a listen to that right quick before we break down the awards. Paul George, good to talk to you, man. And, and I know you in a tough time of year for everybody. Now the end of the regular season, trying to get into the postseason. What's been so different for y'all since the All-Star break? Why, is, why has it been a little bit tougher now than it has been? Um, You know, honestly, I think... uh. I think we honestly bad time, but we hit a wall as a group uh, where we haven't been playing our best, and it, and it and it you know it just hasn't been good that you know we finish and we're closing out with the opponents we we have to finish this season out. So I think it's a little bit of both. No excuses though. We haven't we just haven't been playing well down the stretch, and um, you know it's it's amplified because of how stacked and how you know this thing is coming down to the wire in the West um, that, you know, it's, it's go time for it. So uh, we're trying to tune things up. We're trying to figure out our identity. I think it's, it's set in stone that we in the playoffs. Now we're just working on trying to play the right way going down into the playoffs. Yeah. What's, what's strange too, is that you've been playing as well as you have all year. Like, you know, you look at your numbers, they haven't changed. I I know there's been so much talk about, you know, you being in the MVP conversation this year and the way your game is elevated. How how have you stayed on the grind all year, even with the shoulder and, and everything else that comes with it? I think for me I'm 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 just a team guy and um I owe that to my team, to be honest, to go out and give everything I have and, and uh to compete at a high level and, and just be competitive. Um, you know, regardless of injuries and stuff popping up, nicks and bruises. I think the biggest thing is is just going out there to compete and just loving the game. You know, I've been out with injuries before and I know what it's like to sit out. And if I got the opportunity to play, man, I'm going to go out there and give everything I got. Yeah. The other night, Russ turns in one of the the craziest games I've ever seen. Uh, Mm -hmm. 20 for 20 for 20, triple-double. What was that like? I mean, y'all have done a lot of crazy stuff to both of you, but that was that was next level. Um, what was it like being out there in the midst of that? And then obviously the emotional reaction that so many people had, um, obviously with the past and the Nipsey Hustle and, and what that meant for guys from, from L.A. I think it was just special to build up. Um, I remember the first quarter looking up and he already had like 10 assists and he had like seven or eight rebounds already in the first quarter. And, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm in my head, I'm like, all right, like this, this is making out to be an iconic game regardless. Um, and then as the game went on, you know, he just, you know, slowly kept at it, kept chipping away, kept, you know, playing the game, finding guys, um, asserting itself. And you could just see it was, a, it was a different fire. It was, it was a different, you know, it was, you, you could tell and look at somebody when it's, when they're going on one of them runs. Yeah. And, um, you just saw it. You just saw it in Russ that, that this was bigger than, than that game. Like this, this meant something. And, um, you know, we, we just rallied behind him. We got behind him. We did what we needed to do, you know, to back him up. But, uh, you know, that's, 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 I don't got no words for how he was able to come out and play. And, and, you know, because he, he's one of the ones that got a, a real close personal relationship with us. And, um, I already know how that can be, um, as far as emotions and, you know, for him to get ready and, and get us ready and, and go out there and play at that level, man, it's, it's, you know, there's really no words for that. Yeah. You and this team, you guys realize, obviously, you know, what's at stake here coming up in the postseason. Um, does it matter where you matched up? Does it matter who the opponent is? Or is it just about locking in and focusing on what you guys are going to do and trying to get done what you need to to fulfill whatever your goals are for the postseason? Yeah, I, I think it is what it is at this point. The good mm-hmm. thing is we locked in. We're going, we're playing past, you know, early April. Now I think we just focus on playing the right way, getting back to an identity and going from there. You know, we, we know it's going to be tough regardless who we play. Um, and we know if we, in order to get to what we want to get to and, and have a chance to win a championship, we got to play against Golden State or we got to play against the Denver Nuggets. Those are the two, you know, top teams record wise in the West. Um, so at some point we're going to have to see them. So, um, for us, it's not necessarily a matchup that we're running from or that we're not confident about. Um, it's going to be a challenge. Um, but you know, it's, it's what playoff basketball is about. You got to go against the best to be the best. No doubt. When you when you handicap the race, you know, in the past few years, we've all kind of looked at it and said, well, the Warriors head and shoulders above the crowd and somebody would have to do something crazy, you know, to knock them off. This has been a different mm-hmm. regular season for them, though, where it mm-hmm. seems like the, the pack is is tighter in the West. Um, mm-hmm. Is that real? Like that that feeling around the league that, you know, they're going to have to do some different work. Like it's not going to be as as much of a cakewalk theoretically for them to get through the playoffs like it has been in the past couple of years. Yeah, but, you know, I I think people, they, they've obviously, you know, they've been there before now twice going on year three. So like they know what it, what it is and they know what to expect. Um, so this is not nothing that's catching them by surprise. I think what happened was they lost a lot of their key guys off that bench and their team changed. And, you know, now they're facing a different battle, but um, they still know, you know, what it takes to get to that championship and, and, you know, they know that it's a different level that they got to play in playoffs. So that part, I don't really buy into as mm-hmm. far as, you know, their off the court stuff and things that's been going on throughout their season. Um, because again, I mean, at playoffs and regular season, there's a separation. And I yeah. think, you know, they've showed that they can take it to another level. So that's, that's really what we got to prepare for that we're going to see the best of Golden State. Um, if that's our matchup, um, and we got to just be prepared for that. Is that the craziest part, too? You mentioned the the -the off-the-court stuff and uh, all the social media. How much extra is that to deal with now when you're going through a season just having all this outside noise and trying to block that out and concentrate and focus on the business? Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. It's tough. But you're going to see that a lot um, 
I've dealt with that being mm-hmm. in Indiana where, you know, media was going this way, that that way, um, saying, you know, stuff about certain guys not getting along or certain guys doing this, doing that. And, you know, it, it's, as long as the locker room is good and everything is staying within that locker room and there's nothing, nobody is looking around at each other um, with the questions that are coming up through the media that aren't addressed or unanswered, then then, you, then everybody is good. The locker room is good. Uh, what happens when, you know, people start reading and looking into the lock or to the media stuff and, you know, now they're second guessing and questioning the guys next to them. That's when you got the problem. So as long as they, they hash out and, and they're in a good place and uh, because I know in Indiana stuff was going on, stuff was being said. And then we looking at each other like, man, we <laughs> like, we, we good. Like, I don't know where this is coming from. And, and that alone was like enough that we had to battle um, and it was tiring to like, you know, have to, to just hear it nonstop. So, yeah. um, again, as, as, as long as everything is just in the open and, and there's transparency, then, you know, that locker room would be good. Yeah. We, we love to handicap the MVP race in our conversations outside of the league. Do the players, do you guys sit around and look at it? I mean, y- y'all are human. Y'all, y'all know who's doing what. Do y'all sit back and do you sit down and say, well, if if Paul George is is putting together his ballot like I do for the MVP, where do you rank the seasons that guys have had for the MVP? And and I don't mind you putting yourself on there because you're gonna be on my ballot. I'm, I'll let you know now. <laughs> um, you know, I I look at it as the guy that's out there doing whatever it is or whatever his team needs mm-hmm. to win. And, and if that's to score points, then that's what he has to do. If it's to play two ways, that's what he has to do. If it, if it's to connect the whole team and, and do it on a winning uh, level. Like that's what you like. That's everybody is different. Everybody has a, a different agenda to help their team win. Like I don't look at it yeah. myself as just like, I got to go out there and score points to win a, win this trophy. Like I'm, it's not that, you know, I got bigger goals and, and you know, that's like the, the sub goal mm-hmm. of the whole season. Um, you know, first and foremost is like get to the best point, get to the best place uh, physically, mentally to try to win a championship. And, and if I'm playing at that level for a full year, then I'll put myself in that position. But um, I don't think it's really a, a, a guideline to, you know, winning that trophy. Like whoever is doing what, whatever their team needs, that's who should walk away with that trophy. Right. You uh, know that so much of of a season now at this stage of the career for a guy like yourself is based on, like you said, that, that final goal of trying to win a championship. How much of a grind is it now knowing that that's the, you know, you, you make all-star teams, you make all NBA teams, you, you get big contracts. Now that, that becomes the one driving force year after year. How much can you chew on that bone now day after day at this time of year, knowing that's your grind and your motivation? You know, I think that's what that's what pushes you. You know, that's what keeps you in conversations. That's what keeps you on year after year all-star teams. And, um, you know, that I think that's what keeps you into that loop is chasing the bigger goal. You know what I mean? So I, I think, you know, that's what I'm training for every summer is like, all right, how can I sustain this and how can I get my body prepared and how can I get my game ready for what's to come later in the year? Like I, I know what I'm going to bring during a regular season. Mm-hmm. That's the given. But then like the training is like, all right, like how can I prepare for what's to come? Like 
And I, and I think that's what I get really like when I'm going through training, I'm already like when I'm tired, it's like, all right, this is, this is essentially like me in a playoff series. I'm tired. I'm drained. I'm fatigued. I'm sore. I'm hurting. How do I get to a different place mentally to finish this workout? So it's, it's, it's the in between is, it, it is what it is. Yeah. And I, I feel, I built up, you know, I built up, you know, that game to get through the regular season. I know what to expect. I know I'm gonna be guarded. Now it's like, all right, now I need to prepare for the later run, the later run, and that's getting into the playoffs and going deep in the playoffs and trying to win a championship. No doubt. Finally, before we let you go, PGM man, and I appreciate you so much taking the time. Um, you promote No Spice, all new fresh collector featuring five new body washes with real benefits forged by real ingredients like moisturizer with shea butter. Man, I'm picky about my stuff. What's your What's your go to fragrance that you got to have um, when you're messing with it? I definitely got to have shea butter. Uh, <laughs> got to. Can't get ashy. I mean, I, you can't get ashy. You can't get ashy. I mean, I, I think it's important that men moisturize as much as the women do. I think that's what got me into that is my girl using shea butter <laughs> and her, you know, me having to use her low, her uh, <laughs> body wash and her getting mad at me. So now I think it's dope that I have my own to go to. Um, and it's, it is honestly dope that Old Spice highlights you know, men having skin too and campaigning behind that. No doubt, man. Well, look, we appreciate it. We're going to be watching y'all throughout the course of these playoffs, man. It's going to be interesting as always for you, Russ, and the Oklahoma City Thunder, man. Paul George joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. We appreciate you, brother. Absolutely, bro. Appreciate you. You know, you got to appreciate Paul George's perspective on what what could be a very interesting postseason for he and the Thunder. It's good, you know, it's... We don't even, you know, we don't know exactly where they finish, but it doesn't sound like he's concerned. They feel confident that they're going to be able to turn it up in the playoffs. So we'll see. As I mentioned when I was talking to him, though, he's on my ballot. He's on my MVP ballot. He's going to be one of my top five guys. I think his season has warranted that. In our round of award picks, you, what is the makeup of your top five candidates on your ballot? Number one for me is Giannis Antetokounmpo. You know, I'll just say this. The case for James Harden is strong, and it's about usage and how good his team has been offensively with him carrying the second highest usage rate of the last 23 years. So we've said this before. We have we have a sort of play-by-play data, shot location data for 23, 23 years, and the highest usage rate, in that time was Russell Westbrook from two seasons ago, which was 40%. James Harden is just a, you know, a hair behind that. But Westbrook, when he did that two seasons ago, which was his MVP season, the Thunder ranked 15th offensively that season. The Rockets this year ranked second. So if you look at actually the top 20 usage rates of the last 23 years, only three guys on that list, the top 20, had a high usage rate for a top five offense of that season. And two of them are James Harden this year and last year. Right. And one of them is Carmelo Anthony, actually, uh, the one year the Knicks were good. And so that's the case. Like, you know, he's he's carrying such a huge load and he's not just doing it for an average offensive team. He's doing it for the second best offensive team in the league. And the only team that's been better offensively is a team that has Curry, Durant, Clay Thompson, you know, like that set. I mean, that says a, a ton at the same time. You know, Antetokounmpo is, you know, near the top of the league in usage rate. The Bucks are the third-ranked offense. And then the Bucks have the number one defense, and he's a big part of that too. And so I, I think it just comes down to that. I mean, this team is terrific on both ends of the floor, and he's what drives their success 
on offense, absolutely. And on defense also, you know, just, um, you know, he's a big part of why they're such a great defensive team as well. Right. Is there, is there, I mean, it's a two horse race in most people's eye. So is there a, is there a big drop off for you after those two in terms of they're the clear two front runners and then those next three names on your list? Yeah. I mean, and I, and I haven't necessarily decided on three, four, five, I'm leaning towards Nikola Jokic at number three, just for the overall success of the Nuggets and how much of a part of that he is and how much he drives their success. And then after that, you know, I think it's, it's some combination of Paul George, Joel Embiid and Stephen Curry, I think on my Mm -hmm. list. And I pick Curry over Durant, you know, Durant's played more games, but only a couple hundred more minutes total. And I just think Curry is the bigger difference maker on the Warriors with the way they play. You know, he's just, he is what, he is the engine for their offense. And then Embiid and, and Paul George, you know, the, the late season slump has obviously hurt Paul George. He was probably number three on my list just as recently as a couple of weeks ago. And we'll, I'll have to dig into it a little bit more just to, to, to finalize my list. Not that I, I don't think, you know, you know, it really matters too much. Like with this one, I sort of stress over the one-two conversation because obviously it, it could be a close race. After that, you know, I don't stress too much because I know Harden and Antetokounmpo are going to finish one, first and second. I don't, I'm not too stressed about who I pick third, fourth, and fifth, although I, I, I do want to get it right as, as, much, as best I can. Right. There's been this heated discussion here recently about Harden and Giannis and people trying to make this distinction between, well, all of a sudden now, you know, Harden's so individually brilliant this season that it should somehow supersede our tried and true formula of the best player on the best team getting a huge boost from that. And the fact that Giannis doesn't have to play as many minutes as some, some guys in that role have had you know, had to in the past few years or in the past few cases. Um, it's because the Bucks kick everybody's butt. I mean, they're yeah, really, they're, they just, I'm not they've, blaming all, they've, blow, they've had, you know, more comfortable wins, you know, like, and he, yeah. he's a reason why. Yeah. He's I'm not blaming like, why. but I'm saying some people are like, well, you know, he, you know, they blown people out so bad. So it's not just him, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, maybe it's because of him that they've become such a, a dominant team, not him solely. You know, certainly Mike Budenholzer's system has had a lot to do with it. But my thing is I'm not knocking he or Harden to make the case for either one of them. Like, I don't think you have to take away no. from the other one's great season to to make a case for why either one of these guys would be your top pick. Not at all. Like, yeah. I don't – I mean, I, I had Harden at last year. The Rockets ranked number one offensively last year, and obviously they were a better defensive team last year. Um, and that makes a difference, you know, like he's probably not the reason why they're a worse defensive team this year than they were last year. But like, that's just the way it works sometimes is like your MVP candidacy at some point, you know, in some ways it's, it's about how bad your teammates are or, or you know, and, and how much, you, how important you are to their success. But also it's, it's can be, you know, you can make the argument about, it's how good your teammates are because they obviously, if you have a stronger supporting cast, your team's going to win more games. And then therefore your candidacy is stronger because you're first or second in the conference instead of fourth or fifth or whatever. So it's always, I mean, I mean, you could talk yourself in circles really. And yes, my eyes may be different than they were last year in regard to this discussion. I thought Harden was, you know, far and away the, the, the candidate or the winner last year. Right. Um, and this year it's a tighter race and maybe defense comes into more of the discussion this year than it did last year in my mind. And, and, you know, I, I 
you know, I, I wouldn't fault anybody for voting for Harden. I mean, I, like I said, I mean, I explained it, you know, the usage and the, the offense, yeah. like I understand that argument completely. Yeah. My, my top five as of this moment. And of course I'll reveal my final top five on the last Kia race to the MVP ladder on NBA.com next Friday. But my top five as of today Giannis, Harden, Paul George, Steph, and Joel Embiid if I had to turn in a final ballot. I know a lot of people knock Giannis over Harden or Harden over Giannis. I think that's, like you said, you're fine either way. The one that becomes tough is not putting Jokic in a top five um, for me. I just think Joel Embiid, I mean, I just think every time I try and decide between he and and Jokic that I would rather have Embiid. And I know that sounds crazy because Jokic has been fantastic. And he's so integral to what Denver's done this year. He's got 15 games on Embiid as far as right now. Exactly. As we speak, it's 77 games versus 62 games. So. I know. So, I mean, I know, you know, if you're detracting from somebody not playing as many games, but man, I... But Embiid, like, the defense is a big difference. I would, you know? yeah, I would just rather have Embiid on both ends over Jokic. So that's that's the one that gives me pause. Everything else, I think, lines up. Who's your top three for Kia Defensive Player of the Year? I think I'm going to go with Gobert, number one. Mm-hmm. Embiid will be there, and I think Antetokounmpo will be there also. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you already explained it. He's a difference maker on that end of the floor. And so he might be, too, um, just mm-hmm. – you know, with the game's advantage over Embiid, with the Bucks being the number one defensive team in the league, um, the Sixers being, I think, around nine or ten um, as we speak. And I think that makes a difference, you know. And if you look at how many points per 100 possessions a team is allowed with the player on the floor, Hans DeCumpo is right near there, near the top. And right. and and so basically the Bucks have been at their best defensively with him on the floor. And that's with him, obviously, starting first and third quarters against other starters, you know, where the other the opponent has stronger offense. And so I think he's going to be on there. Like, he's, he could be on three, three different ballots for me. And uh, I think, uh, obviously, the MVP is the strongest case. And then defensive play of the year is right there, too. Yeah. And, I mean, Paul George will be uh, – um, I, I haven't filled out my ballot, obviously. I'll give uh, Paul George some consideration here. I think it is sort of like a – a four or five man got a uh, race with miles Turner. I think also in the conversation, mm-hmm. I got Rudy, Paul George, Giannis and Embiid is my four choices that I'm sorting through. Whoever gets squeezed out of those top three spots would have been just as deserving as the third guy. As far as I'm concerned, it's just a matter of preference and specifics. I think, you know, team defense, as opposed to a guy who's just a great individual defender, it's hard to, to separate them nowadays. You, in, in today's NBA when offensive players are just exploding and going through the roof. It's also hard to distinguish between an interior defender and a perimeter defender. I mean, they're, they're totally different roles. Yeah. I think Paul George has been clearly the best perimeter defender when he's on, on his game, which has been basically all season. Maybe not to the level that, uh, you know, a Draymond Green and a Kawhi Leonard have been in the years that they've won Defensive Player of the Year but certainly as close to that standard as you could get. And it's why I think Draymond Green can be, if he's playing to, you know, at his best, he is the best defensive player just because he can be a great perimeter defender and the great, and a rim protector. Yep. He does both. And that's huge. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So he could be the defensive player of the postseason. You know, we might see that. (laughs) And I think he was probably would prefer that. Yeah. He'd probably prefer that. Now to the category that might be the most difficult to sort through outside of MVP shoe, 
here rookie of the year. I know it was a slam dunk per se for Luka Doncic early on. Um, has Trey Young given you pause at all to reconsider? No, I've enjoyed watching him, and I've and I've been really impressed with what what he's done basically since January or so. He's already one of the best passers in the league, especially in pick and roll. He he knows. I mean, he finds angles that other guys do not. He and John Collins are a terrific tan pick and roll tandem. His decision making has improved quite a bit. He's still a defensive liability. And Luka Doncic has been doing it from day one and really hasn't let up. And so the great thing about it is that you had two teams that turned their offense over to rookies and two teams that got better offensively this year. And that's amazing, pretty much. Uh, Doncic, uh, I think I've said this before, has the highest usage rate for a rookie in the last 23 years, which is... Yeah. Um, and like I said, the Mavs have gotten better offensively, the Hawks have gotten better offensively, and they have two rookies leading the way. I think you just distinguish it between the two because Doncic has been terrific from from day one and Young really struggled there for the first, I don't know, six to ten weeks of the season. I mean, his November was deplorable. Um, And I think that turned a lot of people sour on him. But he's been so good down the stretch, you know, that I think there'll be some some voters who haven't made their minds up completely yet who maybe could be swayed. Um, I like Luca and Trey one, two, and DeAndre Ayton, the number one pick quietly at number three. I don't think he's had as nearly as much hoopla as the number one pick who's had the kind of season, solid season he's had, would get. You know, he hadn't been in the headlines the way a normal number one pick would be because of Luka and just how good Luka's been all season long. And there are a couple other rookies, I think, namely Marvin Bagley III, who didn't get a, a real shot to get in this race early on and, and then had some other issues late. But also Shea Gilligas-Alexander has had a really nice rookie season. I'm not saying these guys are rookies of the year, but I think the class itself overall has been maybe even more robust and a little deeper than I expected. I think the guy that would have finished third on my ballot if he stayed healthy was Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, yeah. He was having a terrific season. He's probably the guy who came in and made uh, was a positive impact defender uh, as a rookie. Like he, you know, the Grizzlies have been, were terrific defensively when he was out there on the floor. Um, he's a good rim protector. And so he could be the best defender of this class for sure. And the future's bright there. But yeah. unfortunately, his season got cut short. And so he, he still might be on my first team all rookie ballot. Uh, first team all rookie. I just I haven't uh, figured that one quite out just yet. But he'll definitely be either first or second team all rookie, despite the shortened season. Yeah. Six man is our next category shoe. We've talked plenty about Lou Williams. Um, I mean, it's basically his award. Now he's taking it over from Jamal Crawford. They can just scratch off one name and put the other one on it, basically every year does does Lou handle that award again for you based on the fact that he's the best bench scorer in the league it's not just about that I would never want it to be just about that I'm not one that voted for Jamal Crawford just because he averaged 20 points a game or whatever off the bench Mm -hmm. you know it's got to be you got to be doing it efficiently and you got to make a difference on you know on your team and Williams does it efficiently enough. You know, he gets the line enough where he can make up for, you know, not ranking that high in effective, you know, field goal percentage from the floor. And also the Clippers are better when he's on the floor. And I think that's the true measure of an impactful sixth man is, does he make his team better? And yes, he's a little bit of a defensive liability, um, but the offensive impact that he's made over the course of the season makes him a pretty easy uh, choice for 
for six men. Who are the, I mean, you've done the research. <laughs> Who else rises into that conversation on on your six man bout? I think uh, number two on my bout is DeMontis Sabonis. Mm-hmm. He has been awesome for uh, Indiana, another guy who makes an impact, but also, you know, basically the best rebounder among six men. Mm-hmm. Um, an efficient score, you know, not a prolific score, obviously, but an efficient one. And he, I think he makes it, I think he's a good defender as well. And I think that makes an, uh, a difference. And then Montrose Harrell will probably be third on my ballot. Um, right. I think as far as basically all the numbers across the board, he's a little a step below Sabonis. Right. Um, but obviously has been fantastic. Impact, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, for most of the season until after the Tobias Harris trade, when they sort of fell into a starting lineup that work work for most of the season, the Clippers were just depending on the Williams Harrell combination off the bench so much. Um, and, and it was about both of them, you know, one, you know, their individual work, but then also their work as a tandem and, uh, you know, their pick and roll play as well. Most improved shoe is our next category. Plenty of names, you know, to go around based on the seasons guys are having. Who are your top three and most improved? Number one is easy, Pascal Siakam. Yep, totally agree. He is just, uh, I mean, transformed. And I think, you know, the numbers speak to, you know, just his, his box score numbers are improved, obviously, on a per 36 basis, on a per game basis. His shooting has improved. He's become a much uh, more effective three-point shooter as the uh, the, the Nets learned uh, Wednesday night. And then also, uh, the one number that really sticks out is just like the percentage of his buckets that have been assisted has, dro- has dropped. So it was around, I want to say, 72% or something last season. It's gone down mm-hmm. to 56%. And it just tells me that he's doing a lot of the work for himself more than he ever has. Yeah. After that, uh, I haven't figured out two and three on my ballot yet. Um, I'm going to give you one guy to contemplate putting on your list that I'm putting uh-huh. on mine. Malik Beasley from Denver. He's, he's an interesting one. Like he, you know, he barely played last season. And like, right. and the same thing, you could say the same thing about Monty Morris. Like barely played, like didn't register in the, in the Nuggets rotation. And they're both second-year players, correct? Yes. Okay. Is That's, Beasley a third-year guy? No, Beasley might – yeah, you're right. Third, Beasley might be yeah. a third-year guy. Yeah. So, Beasley, like, if you want to dismiss the second-year, Monty Morris, Thomas Bryant, like, those kind of – you know, De'Aaron Fox, those kind of guys. Right. I mean, I can see that. Beasley, yeah, he should – I mean, yeah, I mean, he he's taken a huge step forward. I look at Sabonis again as a as a most improved candidate. Like if you look mm-hmm. at improved rebounding percentage, improved shooting, he's right there um, right. among the among the leaders. And I hate to say it, Giannis Antetokounmpo <laughs> is one of the most improved players in the league. If you just look at his numbers, like per right. thirty six, just look at his. I mean, he took a like rebounding, especially scoring and rebounding, and assists. Like he took jumps in all those things, and. Um, and defense, you know, he, he has a bigger effect on on the defensive floor, ends of the floor than he did last year. Yeah, he might be on my ballot. Like I haven't, I haven't. It's it's tough because when we've said it before, like there's, you know, there are multiple stages between a rookie that doesn't play and an MVP candidate, and like right. all these guys have taken different steps, like. Antetokounmpo has gone from all-star to MVP uh, in my mind. You know, Beasley has gone from non-rotation guy to one of the better reserve guards off the bench. And Paul George has gone from, 
you know, all-star to MVP candidate. Like, Antetokounmpo and Paul George have both won the award before, and I don't think that necessarily precludes them from winning it again. And so I'm willing to put either one of those guys on my ballot if I, if I, if I feel like it. I think those are the main names that I've thought of. D'Angelo Russell is there, like, as a, you know, you see it. Um, he, he doesn't register near the top of the list on a lot of the statistical categories. You know, you see his increased maturity for sure, like his ability to sort of rebound from a game where he's benched in the fourth quarter and, and then have a huge game the next day. But he's just so up and down. I mean, even last night against Toronto, you know, he just had a brutal, brutal first half, actually brutal first three quarters, and then like caught fire in the fourth and that got the Nets back in the game. They ultimately lost. He has, you know, even on their road trip, he had that incredible fourth quarter against Sacramento. And then, you know, I was at their game in Philadelphia and he was absolutely terrible. And so, uh, you know, he, he remains a tough guy to quantify, whether you're just talking about most improved or you're just talking about him in general and how much money he should get in, 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 in free agency this year. But I think that's, I think that's my sort of list of candidates and I'll have to figure out who the top three are, but I know Siakam will be number one. Yeah. I don't think you'll get a ton of argument from a lot of people about Siakam being the, the one of the clear cut guys, if not the clear cut guy. Before we get into our next category, you got a Schumann stat for me this week? I do. So we have a little bit of trivia, and it's going to sort of lead into our, our next uh, discussion. So that's why I wanted to, to bring it up now. Mm-hmm. All right. So here is your trivia. Who are the three most improved offensive teams from last season uh, in, in regard to points scored per 100 possessions? So efficiency. Uh, Milwaukee. No, they're number four in regard to offensive improvement. At, uh, they increased, they went from 108.8 to 113.5, from 10th to 3rd in offensive efficiency. Look, let's just make this an open book exam. Uh, <laughs> All three teams are in the Western Conference. I'll give you that. Okay. Uh, 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 Denver. No. Jeez. They're, uh, they barely uh, took but budged uh, offensively. Actually, their improvement. So their defense is what's gotten so much better. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't like cheating. I don't want to look at look it up. Then Western it, Conference. What team took a takes huge, away some of the luster? Took, what team took a huge step forward uh, this season? Is not going to make the playoffs, but absolutely took a Sacramento. Sacramento, right? Correct. They went from 29th offensively to 18th offensively, an increase of 6.3 points per 100 possessions. They're the most improved offensive team. Number two is a playoff team that sort of went from being a top 10 defensive team last year to a top 10, a top five offensive team this year. So they took a, they sort of changed the, you know, change their stripes a little bit. What about Utah? Nope. Not Utah. What about, uh, I mean, I know there's only so many Western Conference teams I could whittle this down at some point. I wear you down. Um, Actually, both of these teams sort of went from being more stronger on the other one on defense to stronger on offense. Mm. Both in the playoffs. Oklahoma City. Nope. <laughs> this doesn't make any sense to me. Then what? A, I mean, number two, Portland. Portland can't be. I mean, they, Portland went from thirteenth in offense last season to fourth in offense this season. The fourth increase best of five. Yes, increase of five point one points per hundred possessions. And then San Antonio went from seventeenth in offense to seventh in offense, increase of four point nine. Points per 100 possessions. Those aren't the teams I would have. I would have even guessed. Yeah. Well, San Antonio that, took a huge step backward defensively. They're going to okay. possibly ranking in the bottom ten defensively for the first time since before they 
drafted Tim Duncan. All right, now other, on the defensive end, most improved defenses. Oh. You already guessed one for offense, and uh, actually, all the all the top three you all guessed on the offensive end and were wrong. I think no, actually, two of them you guessed <laughs> on the offensive end and, and were wrong. Number are one these, should be fairly easy. Most are these, defensive. Wait a minute, are these Western Conference teams again, or are this? Uh, we have two West, one East. Number one most improved defensive team is on the in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Milwaukee. Milwaukee, correct. They went from 18th to first on defense, right. the, allowing 4.6 fewer points per 100 possessions than they did last season. Okay. And the league average jumped one went up 1.8 points per 100 possessions. So, like going down 4.6 is like in, you know improving more than six, you know, versus the league average. All right, right, number two is uh, Western Conference team did not make the playoffs, um, but was a better team, uh, was maybe one of the most improved teams in the league, looked strong early in the season and then sort of fell off and then made and then traded one of their best players. Memphis Grizzlies. Memphis, correct. They, they went from 26th defensively to ninth. They're still a top 10 defensive team. Uh, they allowed two, they've allowed 2.5 points per 100 possessions, fewer than they did, uh, fewer points per 100 possessions than they did last season. And number three is a uh, Western Conference playoff team that you guessed in the offense. Oklahoma City. Nope. Uh, defensive. Went from 23rd defensively to uh, 10th. Denver. Denver, correct. Yeah. 2.1 fewer points per 100 possessions than they allowed last year. All right, so coach of the year, I mentioned Milwaukee was the most improved defensive team, their fourth most improved offensive team. Barely. Yeah, I'm trying to see how you're going to tie all this in. Let's go. <laughs> Didn't make much, uh, many changes per, uh, personnel-wise, so that's why, for me, Mike Budenholzer is number one uh, okay. for sure mm-hmm. on the Mike coach of the year ballot. Yeah, all right. And number two, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm going to lean Doc Rivers for number two. Huh. With the state of that roster and the ability, you know, they could finish anywhere from fifth to eighth in the West, and I, I don't think that's going to make a difference to me. Uh, mm-hmm. Right now, they're sixth as we speak. I think, like, I they may, they mean they. There's the one team, like I think, that has had me shaking my head. Like, how are they doing this uh, more than any? And we've said yeah. it before. One player on this roster was on this roster two seasons ago. That's Luke Mbamute. He hasn't played all season. Right. Half of, a bunch of these guys are free agents. Like they could be playing for that. You know that he's got them all playing for each other and playing together is fantastic. That's why I think he's going to be number two on my ballot. Hmm. All right. And after that, I am open to ideas. I think it could be Mike Malone. It could be Nate McMillan. I think it might be Nate McMillan for my third one. You know, I would give Kenny Atkinson maybe another in a, a consideration in another year if, if there weren't these other candidates there. I'm surprised nobody mentions Nick Nurse, but I guess that's more about Masai's move than it is. Maybe I think so. Years. And you know what? Like, they just haven't been the, they they were a better regular season team last year. They were. Right. I mean, and it's it's about the regular season. And they were a top five team on both ends of the floor last year. Right. And this year they're not. So, um, and that's that's okay. You know, it's fine. Like, well, you know, the test will be the postseason. And they've obviously rested Kawhi Leonard quite a bit. And Kyle Lowry's been injured. I don't necessarily think Nick Nurse is a worse coach than Dwayne Casey, and I don't necessarily think he's a better coach. I just think it's a different kind of season, and, and you know, there's not much of a, a case, especially when you've got all these other candidates. 
Yeah. I think my pool of candidates for coach of the year, bud, you know, Doc, Nate McMillan, Mike Malone will be my main four guys. I'm I'm kind of deciding on which order they go in. I have not determined yet. <laughs> bud looks like a favorite though, but still not 100% sure how I'm going to shuffle the board on coach of the year. Uh, our last category shoe is executive of the year. And I've, I've already got Masai Ujiri sitting in the pole position on my list. I did the minute he pulled the deal for Kawhi Leonard. And if I said, if it goes right, Masai will have bagged this award based on just the sheer guts it took to do it. <laughs> and, and it's proven to be a pretty substantial move. But there was so much activity throughout the course of the season. I'm wondering, does does someone off the, you know, the main road of executives dive into this mix based on the trade deadline and what we saw go down. Does does an Elton Brand or somebody like that get in into the fray based on the moves that were made during the course of the season? Oh, how about Lawrence Frank? The Clippers got better than the, the you know, the, the Clippers improved more at the deadline than the Sixers did. <laughs> yeah, I mean – in a move that people didn't think was a get better move. Yeah, I, I, we don't have to, but we don't vote for executive of the year. I haven't so really what? thought we about do it here. Too we much. do now. Um, that's a, I mean, it's a tough. I, I mean, I guess Masai Ujiri is your sort of number one candidate. It's hard. It's hard to give somebody in Denver credit for the front office yeah. moves when they had they've had so much organic growth and and gotten so much better. You know, with their same core group. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to look down the the list, and you know, the Clippers have set themselves up well for this summer, and so right. maybe that's what when you know Lawrence Frank or you know you know gets the the credit for for what they've done. You know, maybe he's a a candidate next summer if they if they make the splash in free agency. And really, you know, there's a lot of teams that could change fortunes this summer. So, you know, next year's executive of the year might be more interesting than, than uh, last year. It'd be tough. Hey, the Lakers got LeBron, but <laughs> I don't think you're going to, I don't think Magic Johnson's going to get uh, any votes for this uh, award. Um, I mean, Milwaukee. Yeah. yeah. John Horace. You're not going to give, could, could somebody get the MVP, the coach of the year? And executive? <laughs> be a, be a hell of a run, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, I think I think that if you're going to break down the the credit for their season, I think yes, uh, Budenholzer and Antetokounmpo uh, probably take ninety percent of the credit for. What What about Sean Marks? You know, with Brooklyn getting there, what about the job? Yeah, the Nets had? yeah, and but that's another one where it's sort of setting yourself up for the future. I mean, right? He's done. I think a lot of the credit goes more to their coaching staff and the the, right. the player development side of it, although he has you know, made some smart moves in the last year or so. It's interesting. I mean, I'll let you, I'll let you marinate on that one amongst all the other things you got to get done between now. And I next focus week. The stuff on the stuff on the court. Like thank, I'm glad I'm thankful. I don't have to vote for, for that award. <laughs> well, be sure to check out NBA.com for all the shoes, detail analysis on all of the major awards that we do have to vote for. Interesting stuff. Shoot. Appreciate it as always. Uh, appreciate Paul George taking a few minutes out of his busy schedule to join us uh, on this week's Hang Time podcast. We'll be back on Monday with the final power rankings of the season, Shu. I'm expecting some fireworks from you. I need some serious show-stopping information on, <laughs> on all 30 teams. The Kia Race to the MVP ladder is out on Friday on NBA.com. Make sure you check that out. 
Be sure to subscribe to Hang Time on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. For new episodes all season long, we're not going anywhere. The regular season's coming to an end. We'll be here every step of the way through the playoffs in the summer. Summer league, draft, free agency, you name it. We're not going anywhere. So make sure you leave a review. And for John Schumann in New Jersey, John Hartzell, our producer, this is Sekou Smith in Atlanta. We will see you right here next time on the Hang Time Podcast.